Hello and welcome to episode 158 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in the driver's seat and yanking the wheel to turn down the road less travelled today as we look for connections between golf and health. A recent pilot study in Scotland prescribed, quote-unquote, golf for patients suffering a range of conditions, and the initial results suggests that the trial was a success. The program was run in Fife, home to the iconic old course, as well as the University of St Andrews, whose Director of Research at their medical school, Frank Sullivan, will be joining us shortly. Before we meet Dr Frank, however, let's turn our attention closer to home, and alongside me in the studio is co-founder of the Good Good Pod and resident left-field thinker, Adrian Logue. Fresh off around yourself today and looking at a picture of health, it must be said. Uh, yeah, it's a healthy activity, isn't it, golf? It's It can be – yeah, it's an all-body experience. Let's put it that way. <laughs> an immersive experience, <laughs> yeah. I think, is how we might describe it. engages it engages the, the body and, and mind. And the mind, indeed. Also looking fighting fit is co-host Jimmy Emanuel, whose recent move to the freelance world has clearly freed up time to focus on more important pursuits like Ambrose Charity Golf Days. Jimmy, did you eventually find out how you fared in today's event? You weren't sure oh, when you walked in. This well, no, disappointing. No, we, we had a good score, actually, and then- We were on 59 watch, legitimate 59 watch. Yeah, and after I I spun one past the hole with my second on our last hole, Logue said that was for 59. I said, if I'd known, I would have taken yeah, a little bit off. Yeah, that's tried, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Hit it, punched but it there was no scores and no. So yeah. The problem with Ambrose is that you think you've had a great score. <laughs> well, we, we knew you we were probably slightly like, short. We we had some flashes. We left a couple out there. Yeah. What, the, the problem was that- You've been waiting all year to say that publicly, Logue? Yeah, left a couple out there. <laughs> Lo- Logue rightly addressed the fact that Warren Smith, who was amongst our group, wasn't Warren Smith enough. He didn't enough. Warren Smith the hell out of- some no, of his shots, yeah. It was disappointing. Anyway, Very disappointing. He needs to do better. Enough of all that. Finally and more importantly to our guest for today's episode. As I mentioned, Dr. Frank Sullivan is Director of Research at the University of St. Andrews Medical School and knows as much as anybody about this recent study. Frank, welcome. Thanks for taking some time. Thank you for inviting me on. Uh, good to join you in the podcast. Looking forward to uh, getting your thoughts. I wanted to start with a quote from the legendary course architect, Dr. Alison McKenzie, who wrote in the spirit of St. Andrews, one of the reasons why I, a medical man, decided to give up medicine and take to golf architecture was my firm conviction of the extraordinary influence on health, of pleasurable excitement, especially when combined with fresh air and exercise. How frequently have I, with great difficulty, persuaded patients who were never off my doorstep to take up golf and how rarely, if ever, have I seen them in my consulting rooms again? Was he not exaggerating, Frank? Well, it's a bit variable how much pleasurable <laughs> excitement people get uh, from golf. But um, so there's no doubt that the exercise itself, plus being out uh, in the, the fresh air, green and blue spaces. And also, I think the companionship mm-hmm. that's coming through quite a lot is that uh Many older people who might benefit are becoming a bit isolated in modern society. And if you get them out with three or four friends, then that, you know, is a big uh, help uh, for them in the week. Good things can happen. Give us a thumbnail sketch of what this, it it all seems quite sort of elusive, what this study slash trial slash program, what were the parameters? What is it that you were looking for? What sorts of people and what sorts of conditions were sort of involved, and what was what were some of the outcomes? I'll just go make a cup of tea and come back. I think that there's a, there's a fair bit to answer and cover in there. Um, our drive in this was about making the connection between people who might benefit from playing golf uh, and the health system, 
I think it's well established that there's a, a problem in um, Western society, people not getting enough exercise. Uh, the World Health Organization uh, published last year uh, on this and um, we're recommending uh, levels of exercise that are far beyond what most people do. Um, and the other people in my department who are interested in behaviour change, psychologists, sociologists, uh, did a number of studies about this um, overall, not just particularly with golf, um, but they, they carried out a, a systematic review of the whole literature. They did uh, some interviews and focus groups with patients and just members of the public to find out what the issues were. And then... Because we're in St Andrews, I can see the old course from my office window here in this lovely sunny morning, um, as it is here. And um, yeah, yeah they, they had an interest in exploring whether there might be something that that we could do together between the university uh, and the RNA. I, I was listening to one of your other podcasts. I meant to say there are no blazers in sight uh, from uh, where I'm sitting at the moment. What about br- uh, brandy snifters or <laughs> gin, yeah. gin normal, top it? hats, gin, gin-soaked ties, no, and top hats, sort of monocles? That's huggy. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. It's eight in the morning. I'd be worried about gin-soaked ties. <laughs> it's it's, it's anyway. ten o'clock somewhere. So, so it was really. Those things came together and we then explored it with the local golf courses in Fife and um, uh, how we might go about and with patient groups and practices. So everyone was very keen. That was the, the first thing that I would I would mention, that um, there were no practices that we went to who said, oh, no, we're too busy, we're, we couldn't possibly start referring okay. people into this. And there were no golf clubs who said, oh, uh, we don't want these kind of people uh, coming to okay. our golf course. Everyone was, yeah, let's try and make this work. And so we've run two um, pilots of being able to um, identify people who might benefit. Um, So it's either GPs, nurses, pharmacists, um, identifying the patients and then making referral to their local golf clubs. There's two or three clubs and it's done through a website so that people can register their interest and whenever there's six or eight people ready to form a group, they then come up at a pre-arranged time to meet a golf professional at one of the courses and they take them through the rudiments of golf um, some social activities round about it for um, six weeks. Sometimes it's uh, two shorter activities a week, sometimes it's four or five longer ones. Uh, and uh, then the clubs have tried to then make it possible for people to continue at the end of the course. What we're doing is evaluating that, uh, finding out what people's experiences were. So when people have been invited, why have they come for people who didn't come? What stopped them from coming? Uh, people who, who'd have come, what did they enjoy? Uh, if they're going to continue, why? If they're not going to continue, what are the reasons uh, why? So that's the stage that it's all at just now. Apart from the RNA producing some initial funding, the university gave us some funding and Handa ISPS have given us some funding. 
We're working with a number of other places, uh, mainly in the UK, uh, England, Wales and Northern Ireland, uh, and we're putting in a grant application to the UK's National Institute for Health Research to try and roll this out at a much larger scale. Because it's one thing persuading people who are keen that it's a good idea, it's another uh, issue persuading health service funders that it's a worthwhile investment and for that you need larger numbers than we have and a economic evaluation you need some concrete results really if you're going to go to a government and ask for money you've got to tell them that that money's going to actually achieve something that's kind of the yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're so. balancing it up against um, neonatal intensive care if it's a health service or repairing the roads if it's government overall. Yeah. You know, there's other priorities. Yeah, of course, and the budget's not limitless. There's a number of questions that mm. come up in all of that, but the first one, I, I guess, Frank, who's suitable for this? Yeah. So the GP GPs that you went to, I imagine it was their judgment of who they felt was suitable. What sorts of sort of people might be suitable for a program like this? Is it only physical health conditions that you're thinking of here? No, I think uh, we're seeing quite a lot of, of benefit about mental health conditions as well. Yeah. Uh, for this uh, project, we kept it fairly broad. Um, I did have a student looking at the exclusion criteria that are published. So should somebody who's had a heart attack within the last six weeks play, for example. Um, and they're actually rather sparse across the world. There are some guidelines, but when you look, you burrow into them to see what the evidence is, it's mostly just intuitive rather than anyone having studied it in, in great detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were, we were fairly broad. We did have people who had had strokes, say, in the past, or we made provision for wheelchair users. Obviously, that takes more resource and they can only go to clubs where the professionals have been uh, prepared and willing to take folk with that and have smaller groups. Um, but yeah, we were fairly broad uh, about uh, our inclusion in this and only excluded people that we thought that it might make their, their health problem get worse. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. At a physical level, you assume, obviously, the walking is clearly good in golf. If we all got up and walked more, took our cars less and got up and walked upstairs instead of taking elevators, that's an obvious benefit. Physically, does the golf swing, the movement of the golf, the body in the golf swing itself, have other benefits as well? Or is it mainly the walk and the fact that people are more likely to walk if there's something interesting to do while they're walking? So all of that, all of that helps. I was going to quote a few of the things that the patients said in the evaluation. So one speaks to that. Um, uh, a man who'd had um, a shoulder surgery was saying, my upper arm movement has improved. My left hand still struggled with gripping and the pro suggested changing for chunkier grips and that's helped. So for him, it's not just cardiovascular, it was locomotor function mm. uh, being improved. Yeah, indeed, and there's also an incentive log, as you pointed out. Once you start golf, and this is, we'll come back to you about this, Frank, once you start, that guy whose shoulder motion is improved, well, now he can't blame that anymore. Mm. <laughs> He's got to play more golf to get better. It's You'd think that there's more than just the physical at play here. Yeah, and on on this more generally as well, I, I've, I'm sure I've seen studies where golfers are on average have 
better health outcomes at the age of 65 or something like that. I'm yeah, sure there was. The, the RNA's uh, golf and health report goes into quite a lot of that stuff. And did you do some research? No, I was. I, I've had my head in the golf and health report for very, other re- other reasons good. last week. Rod quoted Alistair McKenzie to start things off. Yeah, was that all right? It was remarkable. But that, anyway, that golf and health report, the, the sort of the scoping study, talks about golfers on average live five years longer than non-golfers. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And and there's all sorts of other details about the the general benefits of golf, but about studying golfers versus non-golfers of that sort of age has got huge benefits for that sort of stuff as, a, as an average rule sort of thing. Mm. Frank, you're a golfer, loosely. You're like us. You're hopeless at the game, but you enjoy it. So <laughs> that puts you in the class of golfer. What do you think is at play here? If we are seeing genuine health benefits, is it just as simple as walking and moving is better for you? Or is there something else at play as well that perhaps golf uniquely brings that perhaps you couldn't get from just walking the same distance every week? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I would say uh, PG Woodhouse was wrong when he said that uh, golf is a good walk spoiled. <laughs> uh, I think it is a good walk improved uh, by the, the fact that um, it's purposeful uh, and you're at times focusing and you're exerting uh, increased uh, strength at particular points. Uh, it's not just walking for four hours. It is that um, there is that uh, additional muscular exertion. I was quite interested when you said about the golf and health, because if I hadn't mentioned that, I was going to say that any of the listeners can go onto that website and see a lot of the evidence for the the benefits. I guess the way that we think in medicine about this is that um, the uh, association with um uh, people living longer is just that it's association mm-hmm. rather than causation. Not, not causation. Yeah, there's not been any trials. But on the other hand, yeah, people who have had heart attacks or strokes will improve. And there's trials of that showing that if you get people just to go for walks, uh, in fact, on that website I was looking yesterday, uh, they were comparing Nordic walking, which everyone thinks of as, you know, uh, extremely, uh, um, sort of fitness-inducing sport, you know, the Olympic Nordic uh, walkers and, and skiers had are, are super fit, but actually golf was uh, better in some regards uh, for people uh, be, be compared to that. So I think in, in those comparative studies, it is, it is definitely been much more beneficial. That's one of the things within that report that I find particularly interesting and I've seen definitely when I was running a driving range, we used a, a, we had a lot of people who were carers bring, um, you know, people with different physical health problems, mental health issues as well, and use it just as a, a day out and exit. And then parents of some of these people, because a lot of them were younger, started to bring them every week because it was this exercise that they could mm-hmm. do. And in the same way for people with physical challenges, for older people, and that golf and health talks about as well, balance and muscle strength very much by swinging a golf club is improved. Having to do some coordinated thing to hit a ball in in the middle of a club or somewhere on the club face. And and when I worked with a couple of older golf pros, I remember a few of them saying, oh, you know, I've always been so fit because I just played tournament golf. I'd walk every day and I'd hit golf balls every day. And one of them said to me, I noticed I started to get you know, a bit weaker and sore and I was not moving around. I was feeling worse because I used to take a hundred swings with a weighted golf club every day. 
I've started doing that again. I feel a lot better. He's not going to the gym. He's not lifting weights and doing anything like that. And uh, uh, one of the other things before we go past that study, one of the things that's really interesting in there that golf doesn't speak about, spectators of golf, as in people who pay to go watch a golf tournament, get a health benefit that spectators of other professional sports don't. That's true. Yeah, you've got to work for it a little bit. If you want to go watch the cricket, you go and sit in your seat and the only time you get up is go to the bathroom or go get another drink or something to eat. You go and watch a golf tournament, even if you want to stay in one spot all day, you're probably walking a distance to get there, walking back, you're traversing uneven terrain, you're using the muscles in your body. But if you go and follow a group for 18 holes, you're getting a full walk in there. And you you go to Augusta and walk up and down those hills. You don't get that if you go to the Super Bowl. Well, you can kind of undo all of that good with a few pimento cheese sandwiches. <laughs> don't, let's not go down. Yeah, let's right. not go here because you <laughs> and I will get cancelled if yeah. we share our views. <laughs> tip, on the- yeah. tip, tip for the spectating 18 holes, walk the course backwards. Best way to avoid all oh, the crowds. Yeah. Start at the greens and walk right into the ground and walk back so, to the first tee. That's this, a power move. This, is, this yeah. has been Rod's tip of the week. Yeah, that's my tip of the week. <laughs> Where did I get that from? Andre Stoltz, I think, told me that. He said that's the best way to go and watch I see a lot of golf. Is, yeah. Is, uh, is to do all that. Uh, Frank, clearly there's some physical stuff there. I want to come to what this might mean for golf more broadly down the track, but the mental health benefits, those of us who play, I imagine, would be at least as important, and that connection one that you mentioned from isolation. How much resistance – you mentioned there were some people who didn't take part. What was the resistance on their part, and were there some people who weren't initially keen then perhaps did go and take part in the program and found that that part of it was by far the, the, the most positive for them? in terms of feeling better? Yeah, that's why we ran the trial a second time uh, to try and get the experiences from the first time that we ran it to see uh, what worked worked best. And it did seem that the more welcoming the club was and the more social activities round about um you know, helping uh, folks set up their own safe WhatsApp group so they could then, you know, continue uh, playing in uh, pairs or foursomes uh, going round. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone stopped for physical reasons. I think it was more just um, getting other things in their lives organised, yeah, looking after um, family members or that kind of thing that wasn't going to fit in for them. Um, but again, one of the quotes here um, from one of the patients on the mental health side said, he said, uh, I thought it'd be good to do something that was a total switch off because I suffer from high anxiety and severe depression. <laughs> oh, I'm very busy at work. You should have excluded him, Frank. Thought- <laughs> <laughs> He's a candidate for exclusion, I would have thought, poor bugger. <laughs> But I'm very busy at work and I never thought of golf before, but it gave me an error to myself and I plan to carry this on. Signed, Frank Sullivan. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Frank Sullivan. (laughs) Well, I mean, I suppose the way health professionals think about about these things is that everyone has uh, health behaviours that they um, would like to do, but they don't do for various reasons. you know, there's this what we call health beliefs model. So it's capability, opportunity, and motivation. So for that person that I've, I've quoted there, um, having a doctor say to him, I think you could benefit from playing golf, gave him that little bit of extra motivation to think about it again. And then in terms of opportunity, we then said, and these local clubs are running the, this course. If you think you're interested, take this leaflet, log on to the website and book yourself in. And just that 
um, lowering the, the barriers uh, and a bit of encouragement has, has made a difference at um there's a lesson in golf broadly for the yeah. <laughs> there, isn't there? That you, you think when you talk about the mental health benefits of golf and the community of you know joining a club or playing with a group or whatever, I think Frank touched on that with that example of some time alone. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember working uh, in high traffic retail spots, so talking to people from seven a.m. until five p.m. And just constant people all day. And one of my favorite things to do was to go and then afterwards go and just play holes at the golf course around from my house on my own as a practicing. I'm working my golf game, but But. just completely on my own, nothing else going on, just thinking about the day, whatever. Um, And then in the reverse of it, I mean, Logan and I both work remotely in our new roles where we work you both have offices remotely, i.e. at home. Yeah, so we I don't work- think either is really working, are you? To be <laughs> no, completely honest. But we do things at home. <laughs> so <laughs> we both but we both work with teams that are elsewhere. Yep. Uh, which and is not uncommon. Not days, uncommon, yeah. and this is where I'm coming more broadly, is so you spend a lot of time on your own, which I love doing in terms of working and stuff like that. I, I find it really beneficial. But for a day like today where we've gone out and played golf as a circuit breaker of that, where uh, Logan and I obviously spend a lot of time together and talk a lot, and Warren and, and Scott Jackson from Fox Sports News, it, it just, you have a bit of fun and you break up your day and it, you sort of forget about that because if you, you, you take golf for granted as one of those things that gives you an opportunity to go have a connection when you aren't it's having true. a connection. And if you think about it more broadly for people who are struggling with something like that, I think it's such a fantastic way to encourage that sort of thing. Hmm. It's a, it's a sporting version of the men's shed, isn't it? In that sense, mm. like which we've seen been really hugely popular in Australia in the last, I don't know whether they have them in Scotland, Frank, but this notion of the men's shed where retired blokes gather mm. and use the skills they had all their working lives to build furniture and fix things for people and kind of gives them a bit. But it's as much about being in a place with other blokes, fixing stuff and getting that connection. You don't have to be talking about deep and meaningful stuff. It's just that, that sort of socialising aspect of it. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind when people talk about mental health and golf, I think, is that you're walking outside and in mm. nature and relaxing and that's, mm. there's some sort of soothing effect to that. But I think that's something that's often overlooked is that there's it's a social environment at a club. Think about the own groups of golfers. You know, at your own club, yeah. the blokes are in their 60s and 70s have been playing together for years. They know each other. We talked about this yeah. last week. It's a, it's a, it's a really important part of their their week is to get together with their mates that and rib each other and you know laugh about the. That's right. It's a safe space. It's a safe space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that connection with a lot of those people is purely based on golf. Yep, I, I would say it's a safe space for most people, but. Golf does need to do better making sure it's a safe space for everybody, including that's these exactly. people who are new to golf. Exactly. And that sounds like, just to bring it back to this, <laughs> it sounds like it's an important part of this, Frank, is is making people feel welcome in the club environment, which can be quite intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's several quotes about that. It was a very welcoming situation, especially for single females. On the first morning, I started worrying about it and thought I wouldn't bother, but I'm glad I did. Uh, I did, and I'm glad I did. Um, but on the broader points, we have men's shed in, in Scotland as well, and I think golf fits into this uh, broader um, movement for what's called social prescribing, uh, where people come to the health system with issues, um, and we are set up uh, to prescribe, say, drugs. Mm-hmm. There's a whole infrastructure. Uh, if I write a prescription on Friday morning to somebody, they go to the pharmacy, 
they can start the treatment right away. If I refer somebody to hospital, they'll get a letter or a call early next week saying when their appointment is. If we want to make a social prescribing referral, it's a bit more tricky how that's all going to work. And that's why we're, we're using, we're using golf, but other people are using other okay. examples like the men's shed. Yeah. What reaction did you get from the GPs themselves? Were most of them golfers? What connection did they make? Did they need convincing? You said none of them were resistant to the idea, but what was their initial? I would imagine someone who knows nothing about golf would find that a somewhat odd request. Yeah. So the stereotype when I became a GP uh, 40 years ago was that that's what GPs did in the middle of the day. <laughs> well, well uh, Wednesdays you can't golf. get a tea time at an elite golf club because it's full of dentists and orthodontists. We all know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's certainly not the case no. <laughs> for general practice in Australia or, or the UK now. But um, yeah, so in every practice, there was at least one of the GPs was super enthusiastic uh, about it. And that was often because they were a golfer and they had often been suggesting to people this as a form of exercise. But again, going back to the motivation is not enough. You need the opportunity uh, to make it straightforward. And that's you know, uh, how that, how that worked. So yeah, our interviews with the practices have all been positive. Um, yeah, I think sometimes things are a bit busy. The, somebody has left the consulting room before they went up, oh, they would have been suitable. And so one of the other things we were doing was, uh, running searches on people's electronic medical records and writing out to 200 people in their practice to say, we're taking part in this. If you're interested, uh, log on to this website. That was another way of making the connection. And can I ask a little bit about the mechanics of it, Frank? Is there, uh, is there an actual script written with terrible handwriting and you, you take it into the pro shop and the pro goes out the back and comes out with, <laughs> with the set of golf clubs? <laughs> it's yeah. a fantastic <laughs> question. <laughs> Uh, well, handwriting is less of an issue in the era of printers. You know, he could um, be prescribing a short game lesson or full swing or something, and you get it wrong. No, what happens? We if, wouldn't. Yeah. So that diagnostic and uh, therapeutic process would be up to the professional. We would expect <laughs> okay. health professionals just to say this person might benefit. Okay. Um, oh, so you. I guess it's a bit like if I refer somebody to see a vascular surgeon because they've got poor circulation to their legs, I'm not going to tell the surgeon uh, <laughs> what they should do. I'm going to say this person's got a problem. I think your uh, bag of tools can be helpful. And it's the same way people go to the golf professional and they'll make an analysis of where the person is and decide. Because some, some of the people were people coming back after 30 years. So they had the rudiments. It wasn't that they'd never played, um, but uh, they were no, not currently playing and they would benefit. That, that question was for a selfish reason because Logue wanted you to give him a prescription for a short game because yeah, there's one, it's non-existent. <laughs> Frank, can I ask, were you, given you've got a history in golf and you've worked, in, you, you've played golf and everything like that, when you went out to the golf clubs and you got the positive response from everyone, did it surprise you a little bit? A, a little bit, um, yeah. Uh, there weren't any clubs that had a aura of exclusivity that we approached. Mm -hmm. It was local uh, golf clubs, um, which I, I, I don't know what it's like in Australia and some other countries, but in in Scotland, uh, in the east of Scotland anyway, uh, golf is the summer game uh, for uh, many young people. You know, my children at school, you know, we moved from the west where it was 
football, soccer, whereas over here it was uh, golf that people would play. My son would, would play three games a day at the height of summer with his friend. They would just, you know, go and then get something to eat and straight back out again. Yeah. Um, I often say to people that uh, as you travel from west to eastern Scotland on areas of uh, green space, in the west it says uh, no football. As you go further east, it becomes no ball games. And by the time you come to St Andrews, <laughs> no it says no golf <laughs> because they don't want young ones hacking great lumps out of the parkland, which is wrong. I mean, it should be these sports are continued. Try not to hit anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise... Don't, don't trust the joint, but yeah, feel free, free to do it. I, I think that just quickly is... The reason I ask that is I think even within golf, but it's certainly outside of golf, the concept of, oh, we'll just ask the golf club if they can get involved. No one wants to do it because there's this feeling that they're going to say no. And definitely in Australia, my experience with a lot of different things and recently, there's so much willingness of, yeah, of course we could do that. There's a shift, isn't there? There's a genuine shift, uh, which I was Yeah, absolutely. To. You're more than welcome to come down and do that. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. And it sounds the same in Scotland with this program. And and I think that's, um, it's hard to put yourself up and ask that question if you think you're going to get rejected. Um, but the only thing they can say is no, and there's so much more willingness to be involved in things like this. And again, that comes down to that image of golf outside the game and how do we get that message out because absolutely, you know, yeah. we've done a terrible job of it. Golf is actually getting better. We need to get that message out. Frank, we had Dr. Brad Stenner on Good Good. When was that? Long time ago. Yeah. Uh, a terrific campaigner for the health benefits of golf and has been trying for a long time to get a significant study to really try and nut this out and get some solid figures to be able to take to two governments. Because, of course, a problem that golf has is this pressure, particularly in urban areas, on the courses themselves. People want that space for other things. And this feels like the sort of thing that golf could use to make its case or help make its case. Golf's got a case to make, but it's got to make it. Do you have any thoughts about that and what might it take to get something solid that suggests, you know, golf really is of value beyond just people enjoying doing it? Yeah, so I think that's step, stepping back from thinking about the individual yeah. to thinking about local communities and society and uh, you have a situation here um, which is like a, a market failure, if you like, to use the economist jargon, where you have a resource, uh, golf courses, and all the associated um, staff associated w with that um, who are willing and able uh, to take on more than they currently do. And on the other side, you, you have uh, a need and by working with um, local authorities. And I may say people like Scottish Golf and the Fife Golf Trust and the RNA have all been very facilitating in this. Mm -hmm. uh, you you create um, a, a local, national, international movement which says this is something worthwhile um, and that we should be investing in it, uh, not just for the individual, but for the benefits of their communities. Because mm. public golf, I think, in Scotland, as it is here, is increasingly coming under pressure. It's those public golf courses. Private golf courses are safe because they own their land, and even if people don't like the fact that it's a golf course, there's not much you can do about that. But that really can be that really could be an issue. for That's less about health, I guess, and more about golf and how golf can use health benefits as a tool to convince those in charge that those facilities are worth keeping uh, and supporting. 
So, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, Logue, I just got completely lost. I'm sorry, I was answering a text message. Can you take over for a second, please? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> There's a booking for the studio tonight quite urgently, so I'm sure. a bit sidetracked. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> have, 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 did they ring to confirm? Yeah, you got to ring and confirm. Yeah. All right. yeah. The, um, I was just wondering, Frank, what happens with uh, the instructions that people are given to go to the course? What what do they have to wear? And, you know, if they don't have anything to wear, by the way, if I could just pause for a moment, <laughs> oh, no. they could perhaps they could perhaps visit the sponsor of this podcast, Angus and Grace Go Golfing. Which Jimmy is in I'm fact decked wearing out head right to now. toe in Angus and Grace go golfing. Frank, and out of ten, how does Jimmy look to you? I think you can only see my shirt, but <laughs> I had positive. I had positive <laughs> positive feedback this morning, so Frank can follow on with me. Yeah, actually, don't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> where, where might somebody go to buy Angus and Grace go golfing gear online, Jimmy? Uh, you go to Angus and Grace go golfing I think it's just .com, Indeed. not .au. Yep. 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 Or you international go operation. At Angus and Grace Go Golfing on Instagram or their flagship store in Sydney and William Street, Paddington. Excellent. Find links for that in the, uh, in the show notes. And, and Logue also had it on today at the golf and we looked resplendent. We did. Well done we did. to the two yep. of you. And, and so, Frank, what, what do people <laughs> – what instructions are people given about what to wear – to, uh, so to their... That would definitely suggest they wear something. We don't want to create any public order offences. <laughs> uh, but just loose, comfortable clothing. And it may be that the pros would suggest that at their first visit if there was you know, something that they that wasn't really appropriate or was it was hindering their, their swing. Um, of course, in Scotland, the weather is uh, different to Australia and, um, yeah, we'd often be thinking also about protection from the, the elements. Um, yeah. Mm. Having now run the pilot twice, as you mentioned, what things have you picked up about what you might change if you were going to continue it or what's it informed you about where you might make changes to the way you might run it in the future and on a bigger scale. I sense that the hope is you'd like to roll this out more broadly and how might that look? So the changes are around getting what the key elements uh, of it uh, are uh, for the the different sessions to try and get something which is there's a core of activity but then the professionals might change it slightly depending on the individual and the the group that, that's going along um so it was probably more about socializing at the beginning um, getting people into the way of thinking of um, being in, in a group and, and going around and uh, just some of the golf etiquette type things uh, and then building up uh, through um, practice before then going out to play at first three or four holes, then nine holes, then a full game um, to, to build it up. Also thinking about the... <clears throat> how to continue, try to uh, uh, encourage people to be able to to continue making it possible after the course is finished. And then everybody benefits from that. The um, courses or clubs get uh, additional uh, yeah. members or footfall and they get the benefit from that. Uh, but yes, we, we are trying to, to run it in a, a large enough study that would allow us to to talk about the actual benefits to the health system and follow patients up. You know, as a, a, a health researcher, we use a linkage of people's health data to what happens to them over the next year or five years. 
and uh, we can follow people up um, in Scotland with, with that to see and then persuade funders that this is something worth putting money yeah. in in competition to all the other um, things they might put their money into. Yeah, of course. There is, of course, a small minority of people who are just anti-golf, Frank. We see those and they're the loudest voices in these discussions. Generally, I think you're probably not going to convince them, but do you sense that Governments or departments or those in charge of health systems are open to the notion, if you can show them this works, that they're open to the notion of pursuing this perhaps over some of the other competing things that they've got? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's maybe not quite so bad in Scotland because of the extent of um, local authority courses. I always remember Alistair Cooker in Letter to America saying that um, at the height of the Cold War, he was invited uh, to Moscow to talk about golf for everyone. Wow. Uh, because he had uh, experienced that. Uh, and, and although he'd taken it up fairly late in life, uh, he really enjoyed golf and he saw... Um, Everyone playing. It, it wasn't only uh, people with um, high high incomes and plenty of time to to play. That anyone can play, um, and they should try it and see whether it suits them. Mm. Those who completed the program but didn't go on with the golf. You said you'd done some follow up questions. What sorts of reasons did you get? Not everybody's cut out for the game. Obviously, some people I'm sure just don't enjoy it. They didn't go back and renew their prescription. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get uh, three repeats with your <laughs> – you go to the uh, – this is your last repeat. You'll yeah. need to get a, another referral. I can't go back to the course without a script. So. Stop it, oh. you idiot. Right. Uh, we didn't have the uh, <laughs> ability to, to do repeat prescriptions of refills, they call it, in the United States. I don't know if in Australia. Um, so the people who didn't continue somewhere, it didn't suit them. Uh, they had tried it and it wasn't for them. But a bit over half uh, did. Uh, the reasons why the uh, 43% who didn't, um, I think that it was around timing uh, that some, it was that they might think of continuing at a later stage, uh, not to think that just continuing on, but that they, they saw that whenever they retired next year or whenever they got over uh, an operation that was coming up, they would be able to, to get back. So uh, longer term, it might be more than that. We'll see. Yeah. But, I mean, 43% not returning, 57% continuing. Yeah. That's, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. And, yeah. and, and, that's, and that people lie about the not doing their physio. Like I reckon 95% of people lie about not doing their physio after they've been told to do. You wonder why you've got a sore back. Exactly. <laughs> and no short game. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But uh, that the, the majority wanted to keep up and whatever, and then that others, obviously, as Frank just explained, it's not just I hate it. it it's so positive because golf doesn't need to be for – Every single person no, of in the world. Sure, we'd love it if there was no. golf courses around everywhere and where everyone was playing, but we're not looking at world domination here. We're mm. just looking at introducing the game and how its benefits to people and then to your point of earlier about public golf courses and then prove the benefit of these facilities that we have. Yeah, absolutely, indeed. I've always been of the opinion, Frank, I don't know whether you've got anything to offer here, that if you introduce the game to 100 people and these statistics won't have changed in the last 600 years, X number, whatever the percentage, will fall in love with it, X will hate it, and there'll be a group in the middle who are either indifferent or become a casual. And, and it doesn't matter... When or how you achieve that, I think that's the reality. For every hundred people that are introduced to golf, there's a there's a scale of how many are going to become long term golfers. 
Yeah, um, and we we don't know that exactly. That's that's what would come into a larger scale uh, study. Um, I, th- I think uh, for some people, it's swimming or cycling is is mm. is going to be their 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 sport. Uh, I say from you know as a physician, I'm what I would like is to get people being more active more to active. get the health benefits. Of Whatever that activity that. is, go and do something. Golf is a good one, though, for older people, isn't it, Frank? And it's often referred to as an old person's game, but uh, we shouldn't ignore that, should we? That makes it a fairly important part of the health mix for an ageing population, does it not? It's just for lots of, of older people. Um, they don't need to be driving the ball for 300 yards. They can uh, play uh, with uh, less intensity and still uh, greatly enjoy it. Um, as a GP, that uh, one of the very sad moments in many people's lives is when they bring me in uh, uh, usually a plastic bag full of unused golf balls and say, I won't be needing these anymore. Wow. Uh, because they've got to say they just can't uh, get round uh, anymore. Of course, that gives me lots of balls. <laughs> There's an upside to everything, Frank. <laughs> you get a bunch of free golf balls. It must be said, though, that there would not be a golf club in the world that doesn't have an 80-plus-year-old golfer, I don't think. No, not at all. Every golf club in the world has somebody who had 80, and a lot of the time those people still walking the golf course. Yeah, I mean, you you would have done stories like I have of ninety something yep. year old club champions, and they they're all over the place. And Clates talks about at Metro a couple of the guys that you know he he played when he was a kid yeah. with, who are still out so there still playing. Home. And different and, bunkers are in play for them now. Yeah, and the and, course presents different challenges. And <laughs> and finally succumbing to needing a cart because at you know eighty three years of age, it's just getting a bit hard to walk the eighteen holes. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. So. Yeah. And every, I think every club, or certainly every district, has got a player in their seventies who consistently breaks their age. And yeah, um, it, we so again to go back to this morning that in that field of a charity day, there was a kid of about oh, eight, I think, mm-hmm. who was playing, and I saw a couple of people who would have been well and truly in their seventies who were pl- out there playing as well. It's it's the great benefit of golf, golf. right? Yeah, absolutely, game, game for all people on all ages. Yeah, uh, it's not all. Uh, <laughs> it's not all. Good news with golf and health, though, is it, uh, Frank? There, there are some health risks to golf. Um, Jimmy mentioned, you know, a bad back can be <laughs> can be a problem depending on how you do your move. Uh, but skin cancer as well—it's a particular concern in Australia. Um, that uh, you know, golfers at at large are more at risk for skin cancer than the general popula- population. Yeah. And I think uh, in warmer, sunnier countries like Australia, people have to be aware of that and take the slip, slap, slop uh, precautions um, and uh, try and uh, avoid that and report anything that they think looks a bit suspicious so that it can be dealt with at an early stage. Um, with the exception of melanoma, most skin cancers have got a relatively yeah. benign prognosis if they're, they're, they're caught early. And even melanoma these days, there are better treatments coming along. I think sailing and golf are the two worst, so they're not for skin cancer. Yeah, sailing because of the reflection off the water. Uh, golf it, then, it, again, golf's been used in a way to spread a positive message yeah, of that with so. the Cancer Council's yeah. The Longest yeah. Day, yeah. where yeah. it's all about playing golf to raise awareness of skin cancer and raise money and all that sort of stuff. And it's about being smart about it. And the, I always, I'm fast, I, I'm just kind of fascinated to see it when you go to a golf course, particularly public golf courses, I notice, 
in Australia and they've got the sunscreen stations yep, around the sunscreen golf course. stations. And think about compared to when I was a kid, not unlike <laughs> Frank was talking about his kids and go and play three games yeah. of golf in a day. I spent my life as a kid on a on a golf course just practicing and playing and no hat, no sunscreen. There no was hat. none of that. No. And you know, it's it's an amazing development and it's a it's an awareness thing. I mean there's there's a risk in everything you do. So these things tend to move quite slowly, so you might have started something here. Frank, we've got in touch with you from down here in Australia because we're interested from a media perspective. Have you had any response from others around the place internationally or even from within the UK itself interested in what you've done and interested in perhaps replicating it? Yeah, I've had had responses uh, both from people on the golf side but also on the the health side. Um, The press public health in um, Ulster heard, spoke to me after the, the call on, on Friday and someone from LA um, picked up on the BBC uh, coverage recently and she contacted me about getting involved uh, with the work that they're doing. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that by being on with you, there'll be other other people who think actually we would want to be involved uh, with this. And all that helps when it comes to us going to uh, get the funding when yeah. you say this isn't just a mad idea that we have. There's broad support uh, that this is a study that uh, should be done with potentially uh, international implications. Yeah, and that shows the importance of messaging and how it gets out, doesn't it? These things, the wheels do turn slowly. There's no doubt about that. It's unlikely that this program's going to roll out around the world. But I'd be surprised if in 10 or 15 years there weren't similar programs to this in lots of places and having that grow. I'd yeah. be surprised. Yeah. But th- these sort of things can sometimes feel a little bit like trying to strike a wet match. Like it just, you keep trying and trying, but nothing nothing ignites. But it's... Uh, th- little this, by little, the impact is some, happening. Something like this with some academic rigour yes. and and participation from GPs, golf clubs, RNA. Golf and, associations, yeah. yeah and, a, and a university really feels like there's actually some momentum there, which it's very important that that carries on, I think. Yeah, yeah that, that increased, um, I think, community of golf organisations around the world that do a lot more work together now. They all uh, use each other's resources and everything very, Communication's very easier. And communication and share. the world's so much smaller than it used to be that, you know, it's so much easier to do. It's so good to see that taking place because that helps spread a program. And I'm sure there's people in Australia who've been who've seen this and are interested by it. Um, you know, I don't know how much we can help, Frank, when he mentioned that by coming on our show. Oh, brace yourself, Frank, for <laughs> a flood of both, inquiries. Both of our mothers yeah. will be in touch. They both listen. Uh, <laughs> we were we were big in the medical community until Logue started doing uh, prescription gags for five minutes. <laughs> That's a great – I assume that is the hope, though, Frank. Your interest, obviously – you. You play golf, but your interest is people's health, isn't it? And if this is a legitimate way for people's health to be improved, then it's something that's worth pursuing. It's a pretty simple message, isn't it? Yeah, you're trying to generate and research the concept of critical mass, where there's a number of things happening and it reaches the point where it becomes self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't get there because the evidence isn't good enough or patient acceptance isn't good enough for the funders, then you don't get to critical mass. But at some point, um, so another area I work in is lung cancer screening uh, at the moment where um, we could be doing that, but we're not because we're not quite there, but we're almost there uh, in terms of getting that accepted as something that should happen in, in most countries that could afford it. Seems pretty straightforward. We have that with bowel, bowel cancer, cancer here and I, breast cancer. Interesting that bowel cancer program, I think, 
is branded as just cancer screening, though, because I, I think they've uh, like got the door open there to to do to do more to do more yeah. stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's like currently so, bowel cancer, I think, is the only one that they actively send kits out for, but they're they're keen to mm. explore other cancers. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And that, uh, there's, there's a, Sorry, a number yeah. of screening programs like that, like bowel cancer, but it, ha- it had to get to that point. That's right. You know, yes. In the the nineties and early two thousands, it was like. Uh, Golf and prescription is at the moment patchy here and there, bits of evidence. But then there were uh, two or three large studies that showed the benefit, and most countries started to say, "Well, this is going to be worth worthwhile." Yeah, it's quite encouraging, Frank, isn't it? When you think about it like that, you know, it's probably a long way off into the future, and we're not going to suggest that this is quite quite the impact of bowel cancer or breast cancer screening, perhaps. But that's quite encouraging, isn't it? That that's how these things tend to happen, and you've started the ball rolling. Well, um, lack of physical activity, going back to where we started with the World Health Organization uh, report, they are, let me just get the exact uh, quote uh, on that. They're, they're saying one in four adults don't meet global recommendations and that uh, for physical activity and people who are insufficiently active have a 20 to 30% increased risk of death to compare to people who are sufficiently active. Wow. So it's an even bigger issue than uh, bowel cancer in yeah. terms of proportion of people who are likely okay. to die. Of course, they're linked. You know, yeah. uh, inactivity so. makes bowel cancer more likely. There's four of us here who's not doing the right amount of exercise. Mm-hmm. One in four. Come on, put your hand up. It's going to be me, isn't it's it? You. If you've got to ask, <laughs> if you've got to ask who's the fish, you're the fish, aren't you? You live down the road from the studio where you spend all your time. That's, you don't leave the suburb. That's, <laughs> That's pretty true. Pretty true. Uh, look, looking around uh, the the um, locker room at my golf club, uh, I I shudder to think what those bodies would look like without golf. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's not good. Yeah. This is, is what this is what you look like with exercise, buddy. Yeah. It's a good thing that you're uh, you're getting at least that. Frank, we started with a quote. I'd like to end with one as well. This is from the same passage in the spirit of St Andrews from. Uh, Alistair McKenzie. I recently came across a lady I hadn't seen for twenty over twenty years. She said to me, "I shall always be grateful to you, Doctor McKenzie, for what you did for me." I replied that I wasn't aware of doing anything for her. She said, "Oh yes, you did. You persuaded my husband to play golf. Before then, he said he had no time for golf. He sat all day every day in his office. Went to church on Sunday, then ate too much and was not fit to live with for the rest of the week. Since he played golf, he's not only physically fit but mentally alert. He's given up grumbling at me and at his office staff. He's a pleasure to live with, and his business is infinitely more successful." Perhaps you need to send those two passages out to those that you're prescribing golf to to help with that motivation side, as you said, to uh, to get them to play. It's been fabulous of you to take some time, Frank, and I do hope that you get some response from you. Certainly, if anybody gets in touch with us, we'll happily put them in touch with you. But where might they find you should they want to get in touch with you direct? Well, they could go onto the St. Andrews website, but it's just fms20 at standrews.ac.uk. Oh, just going straight in with the email address. Yeah. F, F for Freddie, M for Mar- Mary, S for Sam? Yeah, F- FM Sullivan. FM Sullivan. Oh. FMS20, yeah. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on getting the ball rolling, Frank. Uh, well done. Thank you for taking some time today. I hope the, the pilot there continues and that you get your funding and that we see more of this research and more of the numbers come out. It's been great to chat to you today. Thanks very much. Thank you all very much. Okay, bye. Thanks, Frank. Hello, good to have you aboard, as always. Thanks very much, Rod, and just let me say again how impressed I am with the research you've done to get those two Alistair McKenzie quotes. That's I'm, I'm, I'm 
profoundly impressed. Pretty close to the least I could do. Yeah. <laughs> Always up for the least I could do. Okay. Well, Thank if you, you think about it, you and I were playing golf this morning and BJ's shooting golf courses in WA. What else was he going to do? That's true. What else no, was he going to do? There's no one to have coffee with. No, no that's coffee it. With that's, the, my enti- that's my entire <laughs> social Studio circle. wasn't booked. Studio <laughs> wasn't booked. No, no one called to check booking. Confirm. Can I quickly mention that spectators at the 2014 Ryder Cup collectively walked four times around the world before we go? Just... Show I did How research. Did they oh, you had that. that. That's an interesting. Yeah, I had that ready to go. Didn't I have just a didn't use to... it. Oh, sorry, man. I didn't. Do you want me to put it in the show notes? No, put the RNA Health and Golf Report in there. Golf S- and Health send me the link, and I will. Uh, interesting it's, stuff. It's it is interesting. It's deep, but it's interesting. Well, and it genuinely is important that link between being able to prove that golf is actually good for the community and the population is going to be crucial if you've got an interest in saving golf courses from being turned into other things. It's Absolutely. And I also think there's something in, and it would be a hard one to study, people who would – if you said to people go out and walk whatever the distance of 18 holes is, you'd get less than 43% would actually go and do it. You've got to have an incentive. So that golf is a really good oh, incentive to get absolutely. people it, to walk. And it it's something to do every, you know, 150 metres or so that you've got to stop and do something. That's right. And do something or even physically intensive. Exactly. Or, or And mentally, you've got to calculate. You've got to look at lines and yardages and wind and all that sort of stuff. It's an yeah. active. And both those things are important. The stop yeah. part is yes. important because it's nice to just stop and take yeah. a rest and, like, have something to look at while you're taking a rest as well. You can w- watch your playing partners hit a shot and then think about your shot and yeah. do that little physical activity and then walk again. Are you only hitting at 150 off the tee these days? You say I, every 150? It was a generalisation. <laughs> I was averaging. And no short game. Yeah. The, the, I mean, I've just prescribed me 100 milligrams of short game, please. <laughs> I'll, uh, get the paddles out. Clear. <laughs> Code red. Yeah. Judge, judging by some of the efforts today, I think you need an anti-seizure medication to fix your chipping action. <laughs> I chipped pretty well today. <laughs> you did. There was club face. I feel but your pain. There's a, that that saving public golf stuff, and this is so important. What Frank's talked about and that health report and everything like that. But again, to reference today, you don't. We don't think about it because it's so common. Of oh yeah, there's just charity golf day on today. That charity golf day raises a lot of yeah. money and and raise money for the Mark Hughes Foundation, which is about brain cancer. And we heard a harrowing story. This morning from a young woman who lost her husband just before they had their first child with brain cancer. And it's raised good money and awareness that, you know, I didn't know as much as I did before we went in and and had that lunch today. We don't think about it because we're in golf and charity golf days is part of what pretty much every club does. It's, again, that message out to other people of, hey, ex-golf club here that you're talking about taking away nine holes, they actually run – this many hundred charity days a year that yep. raise this money, but also awareness and do all that sort of stuff. It's so Clover Moore, Nikki Gemmell, you're the poster children for this, but take some time to have a look at what golf actually does do and achieve for communities and for people. It's yep. not just a bunch of rich people out there entertaining themselves. It is. It is so far from it, really. That's it for episode 158. We'll be back next week with episode 159 of the Good Good Golf Podcast.